Did you know that right now, there could be upwards of three to 5,000 cults in the US? It's crazy to think about, as is the psychological hold they have over their members. But hey, what does that have to do with a show about work-life balance? Well... Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Hello again, and welcome to the show, this time with Brian, because I wasn't here last week. I was going to say, and also with John, I'm still here. And also with John, who was the only person here last week. John, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I have been better in several regards, not least of which is why I wasn't here last week. I'm sitting here with bated breath. So you know I was going to sell my house, and I put my house up on the market. Not even on the market. We did, I I guess, uh, first looks, or I don't even know what it's called. It's where you put your house in the market, but it's not on the market yet. You just kind of tell realtors hey we will be putting our house up yeah no our our realtor gave us a couple sneak peeks into things that were going to be hitting the market i think it's like their nmls number hasn't been generated yet or something like that yeah something like i I don't know the details what i do know is we did this and then we plan on having a photographer come in to take pictures of the house to put up and we actually listed it and we figured hey why don't we get our house professionally cleaned before that happens i think that's most people do that Yeah, well, in the time between us putting our house kind of but not really up for sale and hiring this cleaning company and photographer, we got a buyer. They came in above asking and uh, as is, so that's all great. But this is only a few days before the cleaner was going to come, so we thought, you know what, let's just keep the cleaning appointment and have the house nice and clean when we move out, right? Seems like a good idea. It was not a good idea. (laughs) Why not? Uh, Yeah. So when the cleaning crew came in, they were cleaning the master bathroom on the second floor, pulled the shower head clean out of the wall while the water was on, causing basically a waterfall from the second floor into my kitchen and then into the basement. Oh, my God. Yeah. How, how did they do that? Why, I, why I, were they taking I the- don't know. First thing I don't know is how they did it. Second thing I don't know is why they didn't turn the water off in the shower immediately when it happened. Third thing I don't know is why they didn't tell me for about five minutes till there was nice and watery goodness everywhere in my house. And the fourth thing I don't know, the thing that pisses me off the most, I do not know why they five days later said, you know what? We didn't cause that. Wasn't our fault. We didn't do it. Oh, my God. Completely disavowed any responsibility for it. So where are you at right now? Where I'm at right now, and the reason I couldn't record last week was I had a remediation company come in and had giant fans blowing to dry out the hole in my ceiling where the drywall had been until it got ripped out. I... (laughs) So where are you at in terms of this dispute with the cleaning company? Is this something that needs to go to like small claims court or something like that? I guess it would have to. I don't have any other real recourse. So 
Yeah. If uh, I, I don't know if I would want to name names quite yet in case it does go to litigation, but if you're thinking about hiring a cleaning company, don't go with really any of the big name franchise companies because on further inspection, I think all of them are kind of the same. And all the, the companies we've had out, remediation, drywall, have basically said the same thing. Like, yeah, this is very common. So think twice about hiring a cleaning company. Jesus. Which is sad because we had an episode like a couple of months ago where we talked about like saving time by spending money and one of them was on a cleaning company. No, never again. Yeah, you're taking that back. Yes, I am. But uh, a little fun fact, something I want to do this week, I'm going to call it Throwback Thursday. Like we're ever going to repeat this because we're not really great at repeating like a theme. I do want to call back to an old episode on luck, and it might not seem like this was a very lucky thing that happened, but the aftermath actually did have something that went with that episode. So on Thursday, I'm going to throw up an episode uh, from our past that's actually relevant to my life right now. So that's a little bit of a sneak peek later in the week. Kind of a reminder to yourself to remember what you talked about. Yeah, exactly. But that's for later in the week. So let's get going with this week's topic, which is, I think, going to be a fun one or a creepy one or a combination of both. Longtime listeners know my feelings on corporate culture. It can be useful in guiding a group of workers towards a shared goal, but then companies go ahead and take it too far. Need an example? Go find a video showing Walmart's cringeworthy morning cheer. From the outside looking in, I'd feel a bit creeped out doing that every morning, but that's the thing. I'm only seeing it from the outside. For employees of a company with a, shall we say, excessive company culture, this stuff starts to become second nature. Walmart's attempting to change the way employees think about the company by stomping and clapping together in adoration of a, let's face it, minimum wage paycheck. In fact, a lot of company behavior seems like they're emphasizing the cult part of the word culture. So put down that cup of literal Kool-Aid, go ahead and pick up the metaphorical one instead, because in today's episode, we're going to examine the intersectionality of obsessive work culture and cult-like behavior. So the inspiration for this week's episode wasn't even really a work-life balance or a company culture thing. I ended up seeing a chart that I forwarded to John uh, that was comparing cult behavior with social media features. And it's actually kind of an interesting little graphic. I'll give an example from it. Cults leverage partial truths to create a narrative that aligns with their goals. That's the cult side. On the social media side, you got a lot of algorithms that ensure that the stuff you see aligns with whatever echo chamber you happen to uh, most likely be engaging the platform for. So it's kind of like a thought not mind control, but a thought manipulation concept that they both kind of share. But it got me thinking, some of those cult techniques are definitely present in places we all work. So I want to go through some of the other items on this list, and I'll start by defining them a little bit, and then go into how I think uh, they relate to the corporate world. So first up, I'm going to go with one, relying on loaded language. And I'm starting here because this is the one that made me think, hey, this would be a good episode. And for the definition, loaded words are a persuasive technique that crosses the line of rhetoric and uses language to shut down the thought process for those being spoken to. Now, it's kind of like a heady 
uh, definition. So I have an example from my workplace that I, I just love. All right, This is from a client I have in the service industry. It's a pretty big company. Not going to name names here, but there's a 1 in 10 chance that you've done business with them if you own a motor vehicle. So I'll leave it at that. They have this one word choice that just sticks out to me like a sore thumb. They don't have problems. They don't have issues. They have opportunities. All right. Any bad situation that could result in basically any kind of a negative outcome, it's never a problem. It's always an opportunity. And they defend that word choice if you get it wrong, too. They'll, they'll correct you on a phone call if you use the word problem or challenge. And I said it stuck out to me, but the employees fully internalized this to the point where if something was just straight up fucked, they'd say, oh, man, this is going to be a real opportunity. It just like it doesn't that sound weird from like looking from the outside in. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like corporate gaslighting a little bit like we're, we're, we're forcing ourselves to believe that this thing that is a problem to use the word is actually an opportunity for what explain that to me because sometimes problems just have fixes not everything's an opportunity to one-up your own self or fix it in a and make it better well that, and that's the thing i'm sure it started out kind of like you were saying where it's like oh let's let's try to reframe our thinking from oh don't focus on the problem focus on the opportunity it creates but it got taken to such a crazy level crazy direction that it's it's just weird now, and it's again. It's not. I won't really say mind control, but it's definitely shaping the thinking process of people in the company. And at least that one's not like a terrible thing. It's not like it's it's actively harming anybody. But it definitely, as soon as I saw this cult chart, it reminded me of that immediately. Well, yeah, it, it, what you're describing is cult like behavior. <laughs> to, yeah. To be. I don't know. Drinking the Kool Aid that much uh, just creeps me out a little bit. It just feels like corporate Stepford wives or something. Yeah. 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 No. And it's, I, I like the word Kool-Aid there. You're using it in like the, the literal sense that it was meant for with cults and drinking the Kool-Aid. And that's kind of what it is. It's the conceptual level of Kool-Aid drinking, you know, and at least this Kool-Aid's not dangerous for you. I think some of the other things on the list can be, and we're going to get to those in a minute. Now I don't want to delve into politics again. Uh, we, we probably lost listeners last time <laughs> that we did that, but just for fun, uh, I do want to quote, uh, or I do want to read a quote from uh, George Orwell talking about loaded language related to politics. And it's not the political angle that I'm a fan of. I just like the way he nails the idea of loaded language and why it's a problem. And John, I'm going to say if it's too much, you tell me. and I'm going to cut it. Deal? <laughs> Deal. All right. So this is a quote from George Orwell on a discussion of using loaded language in politics. The word fascism has now no meaning except insofar as it signifies something not desirable. The words democracy, socialism, freedom, patriotic, realistic, justice, have each of them several different meanings which cannot be reconciled with one another. In the case of words like democracy, not only is there no agreed definition, but the attempt to make one is resisted from all sides. It's almost universally felt that when we call a country democratic, we are praising it. Consequently, the defenders of every kind of regime claim that it is a democracy and fear that they may have to stop using the word if it were tied down to any one meaning. 
I know that's kind of a lot of verbiage there too, but do you get the drift of it and, and why loaded language is a problem? By coming up with almost double speak defining language, you're taking meaning out of the language altogether just to suit your own purposes. Yeah, you took the words right you know, right out from under me. I was going to say it's double speak, And I think yeah. that the first part of the, the quote as far as fascism really doesn't have any meaning anymore, I think is especially true. Uh, it, people just throw around yeah. words a lot. <laughs> That's one of the hot button words. And again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of draw a line here politically to say, apolitically, the word is a hot button topic. Both sides use it against the other. So I feel like we're at that weird place where we're kind of in a safe zone by talking about it because we're not talking about either side. But then staunch listener on either side might think we're talking about them so maybe not so safe after all yeah i think we're being clear just by you putting that disclaimer it's that we're <laughs> we're not taking a stance on whether it's right or wrong to overuse that word but it is over yeah the, the stance we're taking is overusing it waters it down till it's meaningless so that's the first one next one is love bombing which is a fun little phrase it's creating an instant and false sense of community by showering new members with affirmation, affection, or flattery for joining. For me, and John, I know you've had a lot to say about this particular topic, but it's those town hall meetings where management calls out all the rock stars and how great the new recruits are and how great an opportunity everybody has. And My company just had a, a pep rally town hall after hiring a few new people, too. Uh, at least in my mind, it kind of felt like it's setting the tone for new people, and it feels very artificial. But John, I know you've talked about the the whole idea of the accolades programs, and this kind of fits there too. Yeah, and even kind of the showering new members part of it too. I see like email blasts that go out welcoming new members, and some of them almost seem a little over the top to the point of love bombing. That's exactly what it is. It's like welcome to this great new place that you're gonna love working with and or love working for and love working at and whatever you know it's just it's I a know. lot all I, at once. I am always very skeptical yeah it's, it's a lot all at once hence the name love bombing and it's like trying real hard to convince me of something very early on should i be worried about that right and am i am i kind of uh killing your lead a little bit by, by saying that's cult-like behavior and it happens in corporate culture all the time yeah that that's that's the episode, baby. That's it. No, that's exactly it. Well, I agree with your your point. <laughs> now, I want to take a step back from there. It's not. I don't think it's always artificial. Uh, the risk of telling the same story twice. I know I talked about when I first joined my current company. I joined the company. I got put on a big project in a very small capacity. Right. I'm I'm a I'm a small fish in a big pond on this project. Nobody knows my name yet. I just started. Well, the owner of the company comes in. I'd never met him, never seen him, and says, oh, hey, you're Brian, right? Great job on this, this, and this on that project. I got to admit, I felt really good from it, and maybe that counts as this love bombing thing. Maybe not, but it didn't feel artificial to me. It felt genuine, and that's that's the world of difference. Yeah, and maybe there's a part of it that's performative, and if you're doing it in that public forum like an email blast, it feels artificial, whereas the scenario you just described felt authentic. That's a good point. Yeah, it was, it was a thing between me and him, so it wasn't like this big thing. It wasn't a, sh a song and dance, you know, for the whole. That's a good. I, I like that. It's probably that's probably why I feel, or at least part of the reason I feel that way. Yeah. Now, I want to read a quote from the Harvard Business Review for another really good example. This is from a staff member, Manfred F. R. Ketz de Vries, which that name doesn't get you in bed. I don't know what will. What hell uh, of a name there? <laughs> that's not. 
hell of a name, sir. Uh, But Manfred wrote an article on corporate cults, and he had this to say. When I recently attended the weekly get-together of a leading U.S. tech company, found a packed auditorium and an audience who started the session with what I later learned was a standard introductory cheer. People screamed the name of the company three times. After this, the CEO, who had invited me, handed out the weekly service awards, and each recipient received a deafening applause. I felt as if I were at some evangelical revival meeting. A barbecue followed the prize-giving, and nearly everybody attended, all dressed like the CEO, in black and gray. And that's kind of creepy, right? Like, they all dress like the dude. That's super creepy. <laughs> it is. It's. It's. I, 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 I kind of want to be there to see that. You ever go to a Microsoft convention, though, where it's like a sea of people wearing just blue polos and, and khakis? It's also kind of creepy as well. But that's just laziness and, and uninventedness when it comes to getting dressed uh, among tech people. No offense, tech people listening to the show. I'll I'll go on. Uh, The enthusiasm of the people present was undeniably impressive. But over the course of the following week, as I interviewed a number of executives and employees, I began to wonder. It became clear after some prompting that people didn't seem to have much of a life outside the company. Many were separated or divorced. One executive claimed that he only went home to change clothes, adding that he might as well just stay at work using the facilities in that wellness center. In this context, corporate jollities like the weekly get-together took on a more sinister color. That's the heart of why I think this is a really fun but also relevant and crucial episode because it is that work-life balance. And I know that's kind of uh, making a leap from the whole cult-like behavior thing to lack of work-life balance, but it's what Manfred found, and I I think it rings true, right? The more you get invested in these cult-like organizations— or the more of your time they're taking up. Yeah, that sounds really... Uh, yeah, I, I don't like any job or work enough to where it's like I'm going to be spending spending the night at, there. No, and that's... On a consistent basis. Nope. No, and that's that's what... I, I feel like that's what the whole cult-like behavior thing tries to cultivate. It's, look, I think a lot of people are at a job to earn a paycheck. Fair. I mean, some people are working somewhere. It's a passion, right? I think you don't get into being a doctor if you don't have a passion for medicine, saving lives, helping people, right? That that I'll give you that. But nine out of 10 jobs out there are not passion projects. Well, and do you, are we expected to feel 100% passionate, motivated, gung-ho about everything all the time? People, you know, have different emotions, different moods. I can be less than stoked on the work that I'm doing at one particular time and then can feel differently the next day. And it's those days that remind us why we're passionate about the work that keep us going. That's the phase shift to me. It's I feel like at one time we could all say what you just said. Look, I'm passionate some days. Some days it just feels like a grind. And the thing that this cult behavior does if you're that person it makes you feel bad about having that negative feeling about your job and if you're other people viewing that co-worker you view them with a little bit of derision for feeling that way right it's it's not hustle it's not hustle culture enough we're making that an alien concept to not be fully devoted and it's it's just not healthy well i can be hustling and i can be working hard but it doesn't necessarily mean that i'm going Honed my wife and saying, wow, I love this. Yeah. I mean, go whole Walmart stomp, clap, cheer in the morning thing. It's like, I can I can go to Walmart and be proud of my job and want to do a good job and put in a full 40. But stomping and clapping and shouting in the morning, singing the praises of the company, that's never going to not be weird. I'm sorry. 
me. It's that I'm never going to be that passionate about working at Walmart that I'm going to be excited to do that ever. I'm never going to be that passionate about working anywhere <laughs> yeah. that I'm going to do that. Uh, apparently, this is a much bigger thing in Asia, though. Like a lot of comp- like it's it's a normal thing to like have company songs and sing company anthems and do this kind of stuff. It's just not very American. <laughs> that's and that's that's where I'm from. So that's my sensibility. Well, and these are also certain cultures that have glorified the grind so much that there's people who are dropping dead in the subway station. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, maybe you need to find artificial ways to keep people kind of pumped. Yeah, yeah. go back to the uh, Brian Dyson episode we did. Uh, in Japan, there's a specific word for overworked death. You know, if you need a specific word for it, it's probably a bit of a problem for you. So, yeah. Next one is leveraging fear of leaving. Cults use phobia indoctrination. The irrational fear of leaving will cause bad things to happen to keep people from leaving. If anything on the list here is widespread, even among non-cult-like companies, I'm going to say it's this one. Uh, and I'm going to rag on my own company here a little bit as well. So I work for a admittedly small consulting company. And we have a lot of guys that are leaving the company to go to the the big companies, right? The KPMGs, Deloitte's, and the like. And whenever that happens... You know management is going to be vocal about how horrible these companies are, how bad they are on their employees, how much instability you have working for them, so on and so forth. Basically painting a picture that the devil you know is better than the one that you don't. And this is a real problem, not just at my company, but I think everywhere, right? Statistically, we know the best way for anyone out there listening to earn more money is to job hop. But we let this fear of leaving keep us at our jobs even when we're unhappy because, hey... What if the next place is worse? And this kind of cult-like thinking really exacerbates that. Yeah, and I think with that, I I really struggle with just kind of the ethics behind it, I guess, because, I mean, our managers, our career counselors, or, you know, people who are supposed to be mentors to us, whatever your company calls them, their job is ultimately, in theory, to help you achieve the best for you. And sometimes that means going other places. But the second you say you're, you know, you're considering it, they try to put the fear of God in you. And, and this isn't necessarily specific to my experience, but we've all heard those stories of just what you described saying, oh, well, you know, I've been there, done that. It's not that great. You're going to, you know, before you know it, you'll be back. And it's just pooey. I don't buy that. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And I like what you said about the whole mentor thing. And I'll, I'll say this. I see a lot of people talking online about, and I'm talking about college age kids saying this. My boss says if I have to take off every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon for class, then he's going to fire me. Should I go to college? Should I hold off and keep this job a bit longer? And it's it's the weirdest question to me because the answer is, of course, you go to school because job you're working is not going to be the job you're working at very long and don't ruin your life for that one manager. And I feel very fortunate that I can juxtapose that with my first internship. Right. I worked at an ad agency for a little bit. And very early on, one of the guys I was working with pulled me aside and said, look, you know, I know you're looking for full time work, maybe here after you graduate. Let me show you this graph. And he basically just hand drew a slowly but steadily climbing line and said, if you stay here, this is what your salary is going to do. And he drew a second line, very jagged, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but it trended much, much higher. And he said, look, if you move every two years to a different company, this is going to be your salary. And look where you're going to be 10 years from now. 
It's not worth it to stay at one company at your age for that long. You stay somewhere two years, you move on. And it's great advice. I, I give that advice to anybody that asks it of me or anybody that doesn't ask it of me. But it's you know, it's not the kind of language you hear from a lot of managers to young people. And I wish it was, especially in internships, right? Internships are about learning the craft, learning the trade. It's an important part of it. Well, let me ask you something. How old was this uh, person giving you this advice? He was in his 50s, so he, he'd been around the block long enough to know. Well, that's where the reason I ask is I think that's surprising because a lot of people of that generation, despite the fact that he's 100% right, they tend to have this loyalty to companies and maybe that's kind of the cult aspect of it that you're kind of getting at and touching at but very interesting that this man uh, kind of gave you the opposite advice of what i would expect somebody in that position to give you so kudos to him that's a good point in the the age thing the generation thing that's probably a good point too right you you, you hit on something there kind of the boomer generation was a lot more company loyalty focused, right? It's not till Gen X when they saw boomers losing their jobs and companies not really caring about them at all, where Gen X kind of defined itself as anti-corporation and and looking for meaning outside of work because they saw the ill effects of leaning too heavily, putting too many eggs in that basket. The last one I want to go through here is weaponizing awakening, which sounds kind of badass. But uh, cults use words like awakening to take advantage of member motivations. Their members are, quote unquote, awake to the right way, while non-cultists aren't to their detriment. And I think this one goes really well with the last behavior we talked about. It's essentially the same context, right? So I said before, I've worked in sales, was my first real job after I graduated. And my boss was giant fan of the movie Boiler Room, which... You've seen the movie Boiler Room. Should have been a giant red flag in a young guy joining a sales outfit, but of course it wasn't. But uh, in his mind, there were people who got it, those who would grind out 80-hour weeks for the sake of the sales hustle, uh, doing anything to get a sale. And then there were those who didn't get it. If somebody quit this company, it wasn't because of the long hours or burnout, according to him at least. It's just because they didn't get it. Right, which was a convenient way of ignoring the bad work-life balance that he and this company created. But the dangerous part of this is that the employees bought into it as well and would actively essentially talk shit on anybody who didn't fall in line. Uh, the last time I talked about this job, I mentioned how one guy got absolutely lambasted for trying to take off some time for the birth of his first kid. If that's not a reason to take off, I don't know what is. And the fact that people were ragging on him for doing it and talking about how little time they themselves took when their firstborns were born, it's just not an environment you want to be in. We've talked about that before. Why are you proud of that? Yeah, it's it's I it's it's such a weird flex. Like, oh, I've missed all the major milestones in my child's life. Um, okay. Bravo. Good for you. What do you want me to say to that? Like, you should not be proud. You should be ashamed of that. Not proud of it. So are you familiar with the Heaven's Gate cult? Uh, is that the Kool-Aid cult? Is that the that's the Comet cult? I know yes. The, 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 he- the Comet cult. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The thing that you said that really uh, got my brain working was the awakening part of it and the idea that they're in the know and other people aren't. The idea that they thought that they, you know, were, were figured out the the word of God or or that God wanted them to get on this comet. 
whatever their motive behind it, it was this other mentality. And the way you're describing it right now is you, you ostracize those who don't fall in line. But what's interesting, though, and the reason I bring up Heaven's Gate is because ultimately isn't the goal of a cult to gain more members and to gain more followers and things like that? So I watched a documentary on the Heaven's Gate folks, and they were one of the first uh, modern cults, you could say, because they use the Internet to try to gain uh, followers and gain people to join them. And it's just so interesting to hear the boiler room uh, corporate example versus the Heaven's Gate example. And it's just interesting that to where they could they should take a page out of a cult's book because you want to encourage people. This, to, there's so many parallels, right? Right. But you want you want people to like kind of buy into that and get you know get involved. And I think ostracizing people is a is a tough way to go about it. Well, it's like a, it's a hashtag FOMO thing, right? You, right. If, yeah. If if you're at the the lower level of the cult, like you're starting to buy into it and being awakened get you to the next level there's a fear of missing out on whatever that next level happens to be in this case i want to ride in a giant comet i gotta buy into this stuff about my comet ticket or i'm gonna get the sale right or you gotta get, get the, the sale, sale. <laughs> to to get the money get the cocaine lamborghinis whatever else uh came from boiler rooming your way through stock sales so that's my examples of corporate culture you like what i did there culture i did i was gonna let it i was just gonna let it go without acknowledging it because i don't want to encourage this now because i know there's a lot of real cults out there not just corporate cults but real ones there's also a lot of strategies that people developed to help their members get out of them and i have to wonder would they also work on freeing ourselves from these corporate cults So I assume it's incredibly hard to actually escape a cult, at least the bigger ones where you're actually living on a compound, right? Yeah, Scientology. Ooh, should I not go oh, there? Oh, we'll get we'll get uh, canceled from that probably, right? Yeah. That's the big the big reach of a short guy, you know. I I just now I just insulted Tom Cruise, so it's doubly <laughs> doubly bad. Uh, no, I, I I think it is incredibly hard to get out once you're in. I feel like also if I could admit something, I would probably fall prey to a cult very easily because I love external validation a lot. I feel like it ticks all the right boxes for me. Well, one thing to remember when talking about cults, and maybe I should have brought this up a little bit earlier, um, in that Heaven's Gate documentary I watched, one thing that they wanted to make abundantly clear is that people who join cults aren't dumb. Like, on paper, they're not dumb. Uh, the Heaven's Gate cult had doctors and lawyers. They were all successful people who made good money. And I, I, I don't know what part of the psyche uh, you know, kind of attracts people to cults or whatnot, but they're not. it's not by lack of intelligence. I wonder if it's some kind of combination of you know, socially loneliness and maybe some desperation about your current situation, right? If if somebody says, look, you're, you, you may be smart, you may have a good job, may have a lot of stuff going on for you, but you lack meaning or you lack a social structure around you or, or you, you have some issues that you don't know how to solve, but we can. We can solve those issues. We can give you that social structure. We can give you meaning. It's very enticing, right? It doesn't matter. It's, you don't have to be 
dumb to to want those things, right? Smart people want them too. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's part of it. Yeah, and kind of once you're in there, uh, <laughs> to the point of this second half here, it's tough to get out. So fill us in on some of those uh, strategies, Brian. I think a lot of them really do apply here. So let's put ourselves in the mind of somebody in a cult and then kind of in the mirror world, our same selves in more of a corporate cult and see if the same things work for us both places. So Brian A, the real cult, is in that compound, stuck in his four by eight room with uh, no working electricity because it's uh, you know one of those. Cults. You picked a shitty cult to join, man. I know <laughs> you got to pick the right one. Or I guess that I guess it's you know it's an MLM kind of thing, right? It's, I I think everybody starts in the uh, the eight by by four room, and then you got to work your way up. When you awaken, you get the penthouse. I, I'm sure that's how they justify it to you. Whatever whatever yeah. they use to get you to join, you're in now, Brian. Yeah. So what do you do, right? So you're living in that cult. Step one. Uh, it's got to be, you got to find somewhere to live that isn't that cult. It seems pretty obvious, but maybe not that simple to execute, right? Like if they have uh, that much control over you and you're living in this compound, how do you even find a new place to live and make sure they don't find out about it? I think that's kind of true of corporate cults as well, right? If we have a job that's just not good for us, we know what we have to do, right? We have to look for a new job, and we know how to look for a new job. It's not hard. You go on Indeed or, you know, Monster. What do people even do to find jobs now? I, I feel like Monster.com was back from, like, the 2000s when I was last using it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people still use I don't Monster, know. but I, I guess know. Indeed and LinkedIn. Yeah, right? Indeed, it's a lot of ways to do it. You know what they are out there listening. The bigger question is, if you know what they are and you know you need that job, why haven't you done it yet? Right. I think that's the parallel here is it's hard to, to uproot yourself in either situation and go somewhere else. It's also easier said than done to find a job. You know, like it's you could find that job that you want to join, but it doesn't mean you're going to get the job. You might not even get an interview. So, yes, while you know the avenues that you need to take to your point about finding a place to live versus finding a new job. In theory, it sounds easy, but in practice, it's a lot harder. Yeah, and this, but again, this goes back to that whole leveraging the fear of leaving thing, right? We have to work through this notion that the devil we know is better than the one that we don't, because it's not necessarily true. So it's, it, I, I think you're right. That's a whole other step that you got to take first, right? Yeah, yeah I, I'm. I guess I'm making the assumption where we've already made the decision we need to leave this call, yeah. right? Hopefully, yeah. No, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's. Uh, I don't know. I feel like the job market might be starting to flip back. I know interest rates are going up. We got high inflation. People are nervous. So I don't. Do you, do you think this this whole uh, great resignation is over with? You think it still has some gas in it? Eh, there's probably still some legs to it. People are still every day picking up that side hustle and making it a full time gig. Um, I don't think anything's going to really change that. There'll still be people doing that, but. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's gonna ebb and flow, but I don't. I don't see it really. I don't know. I mean, you know, life was never the same after the stock market crash. Life's never gonna be the same after the Great Resignation. Yeah. I'm. I'm just trying to egg you on to be the negative guy again because I, I. like giving you that role so I can be the cool guy instead. Ah, well, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna prompt you for negativity <laughs> for every episode well, going forward. Too bad I'm. I'm deep in the cult of positivity now, man. I'm <laughs> drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> All right, so next one, I think this is also going to help our cult selves 
but also our corporate cult selves with the issues that John, you just brought up. So one of the big steps that a cult's going to take is to alienate you from the people that are in your life, because the more alienated and isolated you are, easier victim, easier prey you are for a cult, then the less avenues you have afterwards. So one of the big strategies for getting out of a cult successfully, if you're that person in it, is to go back, re-leverage those relationships, friends and family that you left behind when you joined. Uh, if you are a loved one of somebody in a cult, making sure they understand that you are still there for them and trying to build that bridge back to them socially and emotionally. I think that's going to work somewhat the same for a corporate cult, only this time what we're leveraging instead is going to be our network. So if anybody out there is not currently networking, probably a good idea to do it. In the olden days, you used to go to networking events, meet up every once in a while to uh, you know make sure you know everybody in the group, see what everybody's up to, and to maintain contacts. I think it's even easier today, right? We have social media, we have LinkedIn that really helps people network very, very quickly and very far-reaching. So if you're thinking of leaving, one of the best ways to find that new job or best ways to get leads into new organizations or best ways to get references is to leverage that network. So all that is to say, if you don't have it today, even if you don't think you're going to leave today, never hurts to start building a network now so you have it when you do need it later. And on the flip side of that, don't burn any bridges. <laughs> you yeah. never know who you're, who you're going to cross in the future. Yeah. Uh, but Brian, I think the big takeaway, um, or not a big takeaway, but another avenue to consider. Now, have you thought about having a rich dad who will give you a job? Have you thought about that? That's a that's a that's the best anti cult <laughs> direction to go. Unless your dad's also right. in the cult. Well, so yeah, so rich dad who's in the cult gives you a job. Is that a, is that a viable option? I mean, there's there is never a time money doesn't buy happiness. Remember that episode uh, three episodes ago where we kind of you know laughed at that. It buys me a Ferrari, yeah. and I've never seen someone frowning at a Ferrari. Money doesn't buy you happiness, but screw you, money. Screw you, money buys a lot of happiness, especially if you're in a bad job right now. If you can go to your boss and say, hey, rich dad, screw you, I'm out of here. That's got to be a great <laughs> feeling. I've never done that. I've never done the piss in the cornflakes walk out of a job before, but I feel like that's got to feel really good. Would love to. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. No, no, that, that makes it sound like I hate my boss. I don't. I, I, I don't want to do that to my current boss. She's a lovely lady. But it just it feels very empowering to do the screw you money maneuver out the door. Hey, Brian's boss. He's been talking about leaving. He hates you. He hates everything you do. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I'm a good boss, and it's I have the kind of boss who I like working for and doesn't need to do cult-like strategies and techniques to keep me there. And that's I, I guess in the end, you can't really ask for more than that. And the last one for me is packing a bug-out bag. Literally, this is making sure you have a suitcase packed, any money, and your ID handy. It can really just get out of Dodge in the middle of the night from the actual cult that we're in. And on the flip side, the parallel of the uh, corporate cult self, when everything is said and done, you pull a John and you swoop in for your desk clean out before never coming back again. <laughs> and I, I like leaving on that because John, tell us about uh, the, the one and only day our company, while well, it was still both of our company, opened in this pandemic. <laughs> so the best part was, is as I'm walking out the door with all of the, like, 
two boxes of all of my stuff from my desk. <laughs> my boss at the time said to me, you, "You were not stealthy about it. It was like you were packing up to never come back, well, and everybody knew it." Well, the best part was I didn't even have anything lined up at that point. But it, yeah, I was packing my bug out bag, <laughs> and and the justification was. Well, I, this is all stuff that's been in the office for a year and a half, two years now. I don't know when I'm going to see it again. I want to bring it back. Uh, it, was, it was an awkward moment in the parking lot because I think you you were walking out right as uh, our, at the time, shared boss was talking to me in the park. She's like, what you, what you got going on there with all the boxes? Yeah. We're like, uh, yeah. uh, 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 quarantine supplies. I just would hustle to your car. Did she ever say anything? Like, what she like, you think? Do you think John's packing up to go? <laughs> I, I, I feel like she joked about it. She's like, oh, I bet, I bet he's leaving. Ha ha. It's like, oh, maybe he is. Ha ha. And, you know, it's not as much of a joke as you think it is, but you're not going to be laughing in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, it was it was awkward for me because I knew the intent was there. <laughs> she did not. Well, so I guess to reel it in a little bit, as far as a corporate bug out bag, like, what what it, do you have an example? What it, aside from just grabbing your shit from the office, an old colleague or somebody who's always hiring for a role or something like you know what is it something? Oh, I know I can always fall back on this things like that. What do you have for us? Honestly, I really think this is just you know on the metaphorical side, all about tying up loose ends. When you know you're going to be leaving, there's a few people in your company that well, <laughs> there's a few people in your company that are the reason you're leaving, and you want to just burn those bridges completely. But for anybody else who either was a good coworker to you or might be good in that network for you. You want to make sure you reach out to them. They have your personal contact info. You have theirs. And always remember, just you can always fall back on your rich dad who's got a role at the company. Right? Always, always a screw you money is is a viable option if it's an option. He, for he you. has a, he has a very high position in the cult that we are describing. <laughs> yeah, or start a podcast to to make some side money. Ha ha. Ah, yeah, <laughs> about <really>. that. <laughs> I gotta stop making jokes about how financially non viable we. Do you are. want me to start making? Someday we will be. Do you want me to start? making jokes about the band because that's not a financially viable uh, hobby either <laughs> hey you got that album out though yeah we've sold a bunch uh, I, I said i was gonna <laughs> buy one i have not bought one yet so i like i genuinely like the music so and and we should definitely at some point record a commercial to put in the show for the album but that's on you so you get that yeah done. can we can, can we do it like a like there's old like a, now that's what I call music nine ninety three like that style yeah go Featuring for it top hits from petrol but it's gonna be top hits from like like this song from petrol and this song also from petrol <laughs> from and this petrol. song from petrol it's like over and over again get your copy today it's Sam Goody yeah so I'm gonna close out the episode at this point because we're running very long uh, on a cautionary note beyond how cults operate. So also think about why they operate these ways. They want to separate us from the members of our family, from our friends, and other support networks. They don't want your attention divided. And they sure as hell don't want any open channels opposing their viewpoints. Now, I don't think anybody's company is intentionally trying to do the same thing. But when it comes to companies and the people promoting this hustle culture, we're not far off either, are we? An easy example, anybody glorifying an 80-hour work week. Well, they don't magically have more hours at their disposal than the rest of us. That's time taken away from their personal pursuits and obligations. So be careful about who and what you put your faith in and make sure it aligns with reality and what's truly important in your life.
that's it for this week's show. Well said. Um, uh, I'm going to go see if uh, that rich dad that I've been talking about, see if he has a job at yeah. his company because I, I can really use it. Well, you got a father-in-law now. Is, he, uh, he, is Rachel got a rich dad? Uh, he's retired. Uh, <laughs> so uh, limited income, we'll say. Uh, Social Security or whatever. Who, who the hell knows? Yeah, sure yeah. they, they're, they're doing good. Good. You got to work up that screw you money, man. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time. A barbecue followed the prize... Oh, Jesus. Me reading quotes is horrible. I don't know why I do this to myself. Every time I do this to myself.